Welcome to Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Timothy Atik, and it was recorded on Sunday, February 27th. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at podcast at faithbridge.org. And if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us for Faith Bridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's T.A. Faithbridge, how are we doing today? It is uh, so great to see you. It's great to be back. If we've never been in the same room before, my name is Timothy Atik, and uh, Faithbridge has been a sweet place for me to jump in uh, over the last six years. So it's so great to be back with you today. I want to start just by sharing with you a story that I've shared here before, but uh, if you haven't heard it before, hopefully it'll be enjoyable, and if you have had it, it'll just be a great reminder of a just an interesting experience that I had. So um, several years ago on uh, Good Friday, the Friday before Easter, um, the church I was working at in Austin decided to do a joint Good Friday service with several other churches in the area. And so I loaded up my sweet white Buick minivan with my wife and my son Noah, who was about two years old at the time, and we made our way to downtown Austin for this joint Good Friday service, and we went into the service, and uh, we were enjoying it, but our son Noah, who was two, uh, was deciding to be vocal at times when it just wasn't best to be vocal, and so my wife and I, we made the executive decision that we and everyone else would enjoy the service best if we watched it on the TV screens in the lobby, and so we went out there, and we gave Noah a ball so he could play catch with himself and so he started doing that and it was great because we were really the only people in the lobby watching the TV screens there was one guy way down there but that was it and uh, I will just never forget as we're sitting there watching the TV screens this man walks in he's wearing a hat that says I heart Jesus and that's really helpful if you ever wonder if someone loves Jesus and they're wearing a hat like that it's just like I know that guy loves Jesus which is amazing (laughs) and he was about to pass by us and uh, when he got even with us he just stopped he looked at me and here's what he said he said hey do you love Jesus I was like man if only I had worn my hat like he wouldn't have even had to ask Uh, (laughs) I I told him I did love Jesus, and the unfortunate thing is that was like the climax of our conversation, and it was all downhill from there, because he went on to say this. He said, you know what? I wish they would let me lead this Good Friday service, because everyone in there is just a false prophet, and I was like, that's interesting, because my pastor is helping lead this service, and if he's a false prophet, I probably need to figure that out ASAP. Um, (laughs) But then he went on and he said this. He said, the reason that Jesus came to earth was to show us how we can live perfect lives so we can go to heaven one day. And I didn't agree with that uh, because I believe that I will spend eternity with God, but not because I've been perfect, but because I know the only one who's ever been perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, I told him I didn't agree with him. 
And it began this back and forth. We'll label it a conversation because that seems a lot sweeter. But uh, it was just this back and forth conversation where he was like, well, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, what do you think about this? And my wife was like, what are you doing? And I was like, he's wrong, you know? And so we're just going back and forth. And I can tell that uh, this guy does not like what I have to say. And I can see that. Uh, in his body language and in the tone of his voice. And I can tell that he's reached his boiling point when in a moment in time he looks at me, points his finger, and here's what he said. I kid you not. He does this. He goes, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, what do you do with that? Seriously. Like, I'm a pastor. That's supposed to be my line. What am I going to say now? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, whose rebuke counts more? And, uh, I mean, the conversation, it just spiraled in awkwardness, weirdness. Like, he, he went on, and here's what he said next. He was like, are you prepared to say the seven words? Because if you're not prepared to say the seven words, you're not a child of God. I was like, I'm not prepared to say the seven words. I don't know what they are. But I believe I'm a child of God. It was just crazy. He ended up going into the service, and I looked at Kat, and I was like, let's just leave. So the, the evening ended with us literally sprinting through the parking garage and speeding off in our sweet white Buick minivan, because when we were going out to the garage, we saw him coming, and we were like, he's coming to kill us. Anyway, <laughs> it, it was a pretty good Friday. It was not what I expected, though. And I tell you that because when I think back on that interaction, uh, here's what I realize. That guy believed that he was a follower of Jesus, but I believed that I was a follower of Jesus. But if you look at what he says it looks like to follow Jesus, and you look at what I say it looks like to follow Jesus, it would appear as if we're following two totally different Jesuses. And when I think about this room, this room has hundreds if not over a thousand people in it who would consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ. But if somehow you were to line our, sides, uh, our lives up side by side by side and you were to take someone who's not a Christian just ask them to make observations on what they see, I just wonder if they would look at our lives side by side by side and draw the conclusion it's like they're following different Jesuses. See, we live in such an individualistic culture right now that we bring that into our relationships with God where we feel like we have some right to decide for ourselves what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like we have some authority to just decide what feels best for us. But the best thing that any follower of Jesus can do is open up this book and look at what Jesus says it looks like to follow him. And so I just wonder if you were to t look at your life and what you say it looks like to follow Jesus, and then you were to look at what Jesus says it looks like to follow Jesus, would there be a stark contrast between what you say following Jesus should look like and what Jesus says it should actually look like? So here's what I want to do this morning. As we step back into the book of Luke, what I want to do is I just want to identify four things that should be true of anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 6. 
Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just slip up your hand and one of the ushers would be glad to, to hand one to you. But Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And just so you know, kind of what, what is going on at this point in the book, this is still fairly early on in Jesus' ministry, but at this point, Jesus is going viral. Like Jesus is trending He's done enough cool things up to this point that he is showing up on everyone's feeds. And so when people just get word that Jesus is going to be somewhere, they drop what they're doing and they go to see Jesus. This is one of those moments where hundreds, if not thousands of people have shown up to get a glimpse at the guy that they've been hearing about. Now, what you need to understand is right before this moment with this crowd, Jesus stays up all night praying, and then after he prays, he calls his 12 apostles. He, he appoints the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, and after that, he's going to come down from this mountain from praying with the 12 apostles, and he's going to give a sermon. Uh, commentators refer to this sermon as the Sermon on the Plain. When you look at some of the content, it's going to read very similar to content in Matthew 5 through 7. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some people think that this is the same sermon. Other people think that it's a different event and that Jesus shared some of the same material at different points in his ministry. Okay? The point of his sermon will be to tell people what citizens in his kingdom are like, which is great. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at what the crowd is doing and what Jesus is saying. And from that, we are going to be able to pull four things that should be true of anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17 through 19 set the scene for us. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came, watch what they're doing, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So just picture who's in attendance. You've got the 12 apostles, and then you've just got a great multitude of people who have come to hear from him and to be healed by him. The first thing that is true of anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ is this. Followers of Jesus prioritize hearing from Jesus. Followers of Jesus prioritize hearing from Jesus. We just saw that one of the two reasons that the apostles were there and the crowd was there was they had come to hear from Jesus. So followers of Jesus prioritize hearing from Jesus. What does that look like for us today? What does it look like for us today to hear from Jesus? Well, you have to understand that the scriptures are the single greatest way that God speaks to us today. Pastor and author Mark Batterson says this, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. And I love that because it's 
It's, it's so helpful to understand that you can hear from God every day if you want. Do you realize that? Like today, you can hear from Jesus. Tomorrow when you wake up, you can hear from Jesus if you want to. Where it starts, though, is with opening this book. Because when you open this book, you are opening God's mouth. It's called the Word of God because these are God's words to us. So if right now, if you don't feel very connected to God, if you don't feel very close to him, then a good question to ask yourself is, when's the last time you opened his mouth? And if you're sitting there saying, you know what? I read the Bible every day, and yet I still don't feel connected to God. Well, let me just give you a few points of encouragement that might help you take steps towards nearness with the Lord. Uh, First, just remember that the goal of your time reading the word, the goal is not completion. The goal is connection. Okay, we always have to remember anytime we read the Bible, the win is connection, not it's not completion. This is true of any relationship. Like when I take my wife, Catherine, out for a date, I don't pull up to the house after the date and say, okay, got that done. Like, I don't say that. That would not go well for me if I said that. I don't pull out my task management app on Todoist and show cat. Date night, check, done. Finish, completed. No, because the goal of a date night is it's connection. It's to cultivate intimacy in the relationship and the true the same has to be true with Jesus. This is the problem that I have with statistics around reading the Bible. While statistics are interesting, they're not always helpful. Like there's the statistic that if you read your Bible just five minutes a day, you will read the whole Bible in three years or less. And you hear that and you're like, I can do five minutes a day. The problem is I can't take that statistic and pull it into any relationship in my life and indicate that the relationship will be better because of it. Like I can't tell you, you know what? If you just spend five minutes a day with your kids, then three years from now, you're going to have albums full of memories. (laughs) It's not how it works. The goal isn't completion. it's, It's connection. Another thing that I would tell you is this. If you want to hear from God, then make it really hard to hear from anyone else when you're reading the Bible. Like put your phone on do not disturb. Actually just leave it in the other room. Wake up before your kids are awake. Close your office door, but make it really difficult to hear from anyone else. When I go on a date night with my wife, I don't bring my laptop. Like I don't open it on the table to have access to email and have my phone out so anyone can get a hold of it. No, those things are not welcome. On a date night. Why? Because I want to connect with my wife. And the same should be true on a much greater scale with with God. If if the God of the universe wants to speak to me, he's the only one I want to hear from. You know? Like, no one deserves access to me when the God of the universe wants to speak to me. Okay? So I'd encourage you with that. And then another thing that I would just encourage you to help you take steps towards intimacy is just, intimacy is just something that I've been learning in my own relationship with the Lord. And it's this quantity of time is often necessary for quality of time with Jesus. And I say that because uh, 
few years ago, a mentor of mine was just giving me some parenting advice, and he said this. He said, you can't plan quality time with your kids. You realize that, right? Like, you can't plan it. I can't tomorrow, if I'm working from home, I can't say, okay, uh, from 3 to 3.10, I'm going to step away from my work and have some really quality time with my kids. Because at 3 o'clock, all three boys might be losing their ever-loving mind. <laughs> like, I don't have control over that. There's times where I go into our family dinners around the table and I'm, I've got this great spiritual conversation planned. And like, it goes nothing like what I think it's going to. It's like the kids knew it was coming and they got together before and they're like, I know it, dad's gonna talk about Jesus tonight. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Okay, you, you throw a fit, great. You talk, you know, it's like that. You can't plan quality time. You can plan quantity of time and quality time can come from that time. But I say this with, that the same is often true from God. So sometimes we just want to be like, okay, I got time for two minutes. Okay, so I'm going to open up, going to read a few verses, close it, and hope that it's magical. And, uh, and I think I'm just realizing that quantity of time often leads to quality time. Now, let me just be clear. What I'm not saying is like, just read your Bible longer and further. What I've found in my own life is I can't handle more than one chapter in the Bible a day. Because once I read more than a chapter, it becomes about completion. Like when I get on a reading plan that has me reading three to four chapters a day, it's only about completion. It's like, okay, this is going to take about 20 minutes and I got to blitz through it. But when I'm just reading a chapter, sometimes I can read it twice just to digest it. And what I've started doing is I've started reading the scripture and then I will, I will turn scripture into prayers and I will journal those prayers because it slows me down writing it. And it just gives me more opportunity to process what God is speaking to me that I can then turn back in a prayer for him, to him. And then there's times where I'll even set a timer on my phone for 10 minutes and I will, I'll just sit there and listen for 10 minutes after I've sat and read the word because I just want to give God that much more space to say, you know what, God, you've already spoken to me. But if there's anything else you want to say, I just want to give you space to speak because the goal is connection. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that, that you can hear from God every day if you want to. But I just want to be clear, the goal of me talking right now is not to get you to fall in love with God's word, it's to get you to fall in love with the God of the word. We have to be careful that we don't just connect with God's word without connecting with God. So anytime you read this book, make sure you're answering the question, God, what are you saying to me right now? Okay? Before I move on to the second point, it's just good to remember who's in Jesus' audience. There are true followers, which are the 12 disciples, and there were other true followers. But there were those who weren't true followers. There was just the crowds that wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. And it's just important to realize that there are people who prior, prioritize hearing from Jesus that are not true followers of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. There are people who prioritize being at church every Sunday to hear from Jesus. 
and yet they're not truly following Jesus. So there has to be more to following Jesus than just prioritizing hearing from Jesus, either being at church on Sunday or reading the Bible during the week. The second thing that should be true of anyone who considers himself a follower of Jesus Christ is this. Followers of Jesus desire to experience Jesus. Followers of Jesus desire to experience Jesus. The crowd came to Jesus for two reasons. What were they? We see it in verse 18. They came to hear from him and to be healed of their diseases. And it goes on and it says, And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So we find out who's in his audience. There are people who have diseases. There are people who are struggling, people who are suffering. And what they need is they need to experience the miraculous power of Jesus Christ in their life. And they truly do want to experience him. Like we see three of the senses engaged here. They saw Jesus, they heard from Jesus, and then they were seeking to touch Jesus. So when I talk about followers of Jesus seeking to experience Jesus, what I'm talking about is believers in Jesus seeking to experience the miraculous power of Jesus in their lives. So let me just get really specific and so I don't leave you in ambiguity here. Let me just ask you to just think, where in your life do you need God's power to show up? Like where do you need a miracle in your life? Like maybe you feel like your marriage is on the doorstep of divorce. Like it's, it is on life support. The books aren't working for you. The blogs aren't working for you. And you can't see any other path besides pulling the plug. And you feel hopeless. You feel helpless. And you need Jesus to work a miracle. Or maybe there's a vice in your life that is suffocating you right now. And yet you keep running back to it. Whether it's a battle with pornography or alcohol or prescription pills or overeating or overspending or raging at your loved ones, I don't know what it is for you, but you might feel hopeless in your fight. You might constantly feel like you're on the losing side and you need Jesus's miraculous power to be at work in you. Or maybe there's a loved one in your life who doesn't know Jesus. They're actually a very... Uh, hostile toward the thought of Jesus. It's to the point, we've got someone like this in our family. It's to the point where something in you has lost all hope that they would ever know Jesus Christ. You just think there is no way that this person would ever know Jesus and you need Jesus to do a Saul-like miracle in their lives. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe your, your finances feel stretched to the point of breaking. Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe you're sick. Maybe something is going on with one of your kids that feels so outside of your control. And you desperately need the miraculous power of Jesus to be displayed in your life. Followers of Jesus seek to experience Jesus. So let me just give you two things that you can do to take steps towards experiencing his power in your life. Number one, pray fervently. Pray fervently. 
So I'm talking about getting on your knees, getting on your face and begging God to do something. I'm not talking about praying once or praying twice. I'm talking about you pray and you beg God until you see him move in some way. He might not do what you ask him to do, but his will is good, pleasing and perfect. Pray, pray fervently. I want to ask you a convicting question that was asked to me in a group of people by a friend. Here's the question. If If God answered all of your prayers, what would change? So just think about that. Like if if God answered all of the prayers that you've been praying over the last year, what would change in your life? What would change in this world? What would change in the lives of the people around you? Would anything change? It can be convicting because you might stop and think, man, I I, uh, pray a lot for my food. I pray a lot that we'll have a good day. I pray a lot for my safety that we'll make it from one place to the next, but I don't know that I've actually prayed for anything to to show the miraculous power of Jesus in my life. That's how it can be convicting. I'll just tell you in my own life, uh, one of our sons just navigates some different challenges in life. One of the challenges he's facing is at nighttime, he has a paralyzing fear. That makes it uh, really hard for him to fall asleep. There are nights where it, has, it, it will take him between an hour and a half and two and a half hours to fall asleep. And he needs either Kat or myself in the room. This has been going on for six months. And so uh, early on when I'm sitting in the room, I was like, well, this is when I'll catch up on text. And so I've just got my phone out and scrolling through and responding to things. And then I realized like, when, other, when else in my day do I have a time sitting in a quiet room three feet from my son who, who really needs the miraculous power of Jesus displayed in his life? And so I started putting my phone away and just using the time to beg God to do, to do a work in his life. And so that's what I'm seeking to do. I don't always do it, but that's the goal. And I want to invite you to do, to do the same pray fervently, and then embrace humility. If you want to see the power of God in your life, embrace humility. I say that. What I mean by that is this. Don't assume that anything is beneath you. Like asking for help from friends is not beneath you. Going to marriage counseling is not beneath you. Going to a recovery program is not beneath you. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. What you need to understand is God often displays his power through his people. So I just want to encourage you. Followers of Jesus seek to experience Jesus, but that's not all. Okay, we've said that followers of Jesus prioritize hearing from Jesus and they seek to experience Jesus. But here's the deal. There are people who are not true followers of Jesus that prioritize hearing from Jesus and seek to experience Jesus. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. There are people in this room who boil Christianity down to going to church on Sundays. That's prioritizing hearing from Jesus and praying to a higher power in times of crisis. That's seeking to experience Jesus. There must be more to following Jesus. The third thing that should be true of anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus is this. (coughs) Excuse me. Followers of Jesus are shaped by Jesus. Followers of Jesus are 
shaped by Jesus. I told you that the point of Jesus' sermon was to say, this is what citizens in my kingdom look like. Jesus is unpacking for the crowd. If you're going to be a true follower of mine, this is what it will look like. And when he gives this sermon, one commentator said he's doing nothing less than redefining the world. Like he's handing people new prescription lenses. If you're wearing glasses, prescription lenses right now, just imagine if I were to walk up to you and ask for your glasses and put them on and just say, look, I want to see the world. I want to begin to live life seeing the world through your lenses. Some of y'all would be like, good luck. (laughs) And it would be a very distorted version of reality, right? It'd be a very distorted version of reality. What we have to understand is, is... Every single one of us were born with distorted lenses. Like we see the world through a distorted set of lenses that are marred by sin. And what Jesus is doing for those who had put their trust in him is he's he's taking the prescription lenses of sin and he's replacing them with his lenses. So in the sermon, here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is what it looks like to see life to see the world through through my lenses to see the world as Jesus sees it <clears throat> and so Jesus is turning the world on its head we don't have time to unpack the whole sermon i'll just show you what i'm talking about though just give you a few examples uh, from the scriptures of how Jesus true followers are shaped by Jesus look at what he says in verse 20 He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Look at what he says is blessed. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. That interesting. You know what he's saying? He goes on and says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great. In heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You know what he's doing? He's saying, look, if you're not winning in life right now, that is okay. Your greatest amount of satisfaction and fulfillment can never come from this world. Don't expect your best life now. But then he goes on and says this, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Do you see what he's doing? He's just turn the world upside down. He's saying, look, if you're winning right now, and you are looking to this world for all of your satisfaction, for all of your joy, watch out. Be careful. Because just because you're winning today doesn't mean that you will win for eternity. And so he's just giving people new lenses to see the world. He goes on, verse 27, watch this. Watch the verbs. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. 
Like there was nothing in the, the world or the culture at the time that would demand this type of ethic. Jesus is saying, no, that this is a, an ethic that is founded in the character of God. And so Jesus is saying, the, the verbs that would normally only be associated with your closest friends, do that to your enemies. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to be a citizen in my kingdom, life just looks different. It just looks different. So followers of Jesus are, are shaped by Jesus. And when I say they're shaped by Jesus, I just mean like your desires are shaped by his desires. Your convictions are shaped by his convictions. Your purpose in life is shaped by Jesus. His mission becomes your mission. Dallas Willard explains discipleship this way. He says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And this, this is where we, we see a divergence between those who want to hear from Jesus and experience Jesus, but don't truly want to follow Jesus. Because true followers of Jesus are shaped by Jesus. So it's a good question to just ask yourself, what are the greatest shaping forces in your life right now? Who or what has the loudest voice in your life? Who or what influences who you are becoming or or being? Is it a news outlet? Is it an influencer? Is, a pa is it a pastor? Whoever it is, you just need to evaluate, is it the way of Jesus? And if it's not, you're not following Jesus. You're following someone, but it's not Jesus. I do just want to be clear that the shaping force, it's not an external force. It's not like me with my boys where I'm like, Texas A&M is the greatest university <laughs> in the world. Repeat it back to me. Say what I am saying. That's an external force. Now we're talking about an internal force. See, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God actually lives inside of you through the presence of his, of his spirit. And the Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus. How does the Spirit inside of you glorify Christ? By making you more like Jesus. And so to, to be more like Jesus, the answer isn't to go and do more. It's to surrender more. To surrender to what the Spirit is doing in your life. Which just leads me... To the final thing that should be true of anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus. And this one's going to be convicting. But followers of Jesus live fully surrendered to Jesus. Followers of Jesus live fully surrendered to Jesus. Look at what Jesus says right at the end of his sermon. He asks a question. And I want you to imagine him asking you a question right now. He says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Like, what a convicting question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? That word Lord in the Greek, it, it's given to people in positions of authority. So it can be given to a ruler over a region. 
someone in a position of authority. To say the word twice is to add emphasis. It carries emotion. So Jesus is like, what? What? I don't, I don't understand. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Like you say it like you really mean it. You don't just say Lord. You're like, Lord, Lord. He's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord? It's like you, you really believe that I'm a person of authority in your life. But then you don't do what I tell you. It's like that, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And so it's just good for us to remember that Jesus is never just Savior. He is always at the exact same time. He is Lord and he is King. Like when he walked out of that tomb conquering Satan's sin and death, when he went to the cross bearing all of our sins, it seemed as though they crushed him and ended him. He was put in a tomb, but then he walked out of the tomb, conquering our sin, conquering death, conquering Satan. And God the Father exalted him above every ruler on the earth. So Jesus is now the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. That is who he is. The problem is that we always want a savior, but we don't always want a king. Because what do kings do? Kings rule. But that's who Jesus is. He is savior and Lord. And so to follow Jesus is to live fully surrendered to Jesus. It's to realize that that delayed obedience or partial obedience is disobedience. That Jesus is worthy as our King, as our Lord. He is worthy of full surrender in full obedience. And Jesus tells this illustration to kind of make, to follow up his question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And then watch what he says in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So picture what he's saying. He says, look, there's a guy who built a house on a foundation. There's a guy who built a house with no foundation. In that story, who's doing the normal thing? The guy who built a house on a foundation, right? Like if you're a home builder in here, if I came to you and was like, hey, we'd love for you to build a house for us, but I, I do want you to know, before we sign a contract, it's very important to Kat and to myself that we build our house with a foundation. <laughs> well, if you're a home builder, what are you going to say? Good. <laughs> like that, that, that's actually home building 101. Like I actually don't build homes without a foundation. You're not going to be, you're not going to sit there and be like, finally people who get it. You know what? People don't value foundations, but you do. No, you're not going to celebrate that because it's just doing what's normal. What's normal in this story? Those who hear, those who surrender, 
in those who obey, those who hear the word and do it. That's what's normal. But we often turn that into what is radical or exceptional. And Jesus is like, no, that, that's normal. Do you know what's crazy in God's kingdom? It'd be like this if you're a home builder. What if I came up to you and I was like, hey, here's the deal. We've been crunching the numbers. Like we've been working the spreadsheet. We got to cut costs somewhere. So we were thinking that we would just cut the foundation. <laughs> what would you say? Nope. Like that, nope. We, that's not what we do here. That's a waste of time. It'll be devastating. Very costly. Very dangerous. That is what is crazy in the story. What's crazy in God's kingdom is those who call him Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says. So it's just good for all of us, me included, to ask the question, like just to imagine Jesus looking us in the eyes and say, hey, look, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and just fill in the blank for yourself. What, what, would, what fits in that blank? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? I just want you to, to remember the words of famous DTS professor Howard Hendricks. He said this, the mark of spir spiritual maturity is not how much you understand, but how much you use. In the spiritual realm, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, but obedience. Okay, so I just want you to imagine, imagine what this church would be like. Imagine what the, this community would be like if every person in this world took this word, read it, asked God to empower you by the power of his spirit, and you just did it fully. Imagine how different this church and this community would be. A true follower of Jesus prioritizes hearing from Jesus desires to experience Jesus, is shaped by Jesus, and lives fully surrendered to Jesus. I just want to close by sharing with you one concern I have about a message like this. Some of you might hear a message like this and you think that the application is just to go out and do. And some of you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you might think that your salvation is somehow contingent upon what you go out and do. But I want you to remember why I got rebuked in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? It's because I disagreed with a guy who said, Jesus came to show us how we can live perfect lives so we can go to heaven. Now, salvation has never been dependent upon our obedience. It's always rested upon Jesus's perfect obedience. Because what did we find Jesus praying in the garden before he was betrayed and arrested? Not my will, but your will be done. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He went to the cross. He bore our sins. He died in our place. He was put in a tomb. And on the third day, he walked out of it victoriously for anyone who had put their trust in Christ to come and know him through faith. So obedience, don't view obedience as a requirement for salvation. View it as the response to salvation. See, obedience is what comes when you've heard from Jesus, when you've heard Jesus call your name. 
and you respond in faith. Obedience is what comes when you experience the miraculous power of Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins and to make you new. Obedience is what comes when he puts his spirit inside of you and his spirit goes to work shaping you and conforming you into his image. Obedience just becomes one way that we tell Jesus with our lives that we love him and we're thankful for all that he's done for us on the cross. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then this week, may we be people who follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room this morning who does not know you in a real way. If there's anyone here who has never put their trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins, then I pray that they would this morning. And then my hope and prayer is that we would be people who, who default to what you say, Jesus, it looks like to follow you. That we would lay down any right we think we have to define what the Christian life should look like. May we be people this week who prioritize hearing from you. May we be people who seek to experience your power. God, may we be people who are shaped by you, God. Lord, my hope is that we would be people who live fully surrendered to you for our good and for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.